Welcome to chapel. Do we have anybody that's here? Like, I mean, I we have lots of students here that are here for the first time. Like, this is your first class. Here we go on Orlando campus. We had a couple rookies. That's good. Thanks. Welcome. Uh, where are you from? Wilmore. Wilmore. <laughs> okay. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's right. But uh, two Wilmores. Okay. You know, it's always interesting. We get, for example, coming to Florida in the summer, we get. Folks, who, a lot of students from Houston, Southeast Texas, Louisiana coast, Dr. Yike and I were talking about this earlier, and when they come during the summer, we always tell those folks, uh, you know, we hope you enjoy this cool weather and low humidity, you know, here in Central Florida, but for all the rest of you who come from other places, we just say, suck it up, folks, this is Central Florida, this is what you got to deal with. Now, of course, you're in class, so you spend a couple hours inside which case you have this whole new realization for the people of God becoming the frozen chosen. That's right. So if you're new and you're becoming the frozen chosen, we have stairwells at the corners that serve as campus microwaves. So we've got everything covered. We got you all figured out. Here we are ready to go. If you're new and if this is the time you've been back, I'm sure you know this is really, uh, this chapel is the heart of campus and what we do here. And this is a wonderful place. I, you know, I come walking down for chapel, and here's Kim Dubrell sitting out here, one of our graduates, and I'm so honored that you are here. I hope you know that your, your invitation and your welcome to chapel doesn't end when you graduate. You, you, once you're here, you're welcome to be back. And it's such an honor to have you back, Kim, that you take the chance of being in Orlando to come and join us. At, you know, I, I walk in here, and Lauren's up front. You know, she rotates through from Tallahassee, and whenever she's here, she's part of the worship team that's just being part of the, the fabric of what makes Asbury Asbury, even though you came in disguise yesterday with the contact lenses. So you're forgiven on that. So anyways, welcome. This is a very special place. So good to be joined together with folks in this place again. I read once where Augustine... Um, tells of this incident where somebody came to him and said, wouldn't you have loved to listen to Paul preach? And Augustine thought for a moment and said, you know, I think I would have rather listened to him pray. And I think we can take that and, and maybe move a little sideways here and say, you know, wouldn't it have been great? Wouldn't you, know, wouldn't you have loved to listen to Jesus teach? I love to have been there to witness when healed somebody or delivered somebody. There's also the thing of say, wouldn't you have loved to listen to Jesus pray? Now it's interesting in the in Matthew, Mark, and Luke in the Synoptic Gospels, we're often told about Jesus praying, but we're not told. It, it, none of them tell us this is what he prayed. Like you know, when we get teaching, we get what Jesus taught. The Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, the Sermon in the Plain in Luke the parables in Luke, the parables of Mark 4. We get what Jesus says to people when they're healed or when they're delivered and so on. But then we're just told Jesus goes to pray, but we're not told what he said when he prayed. Really interesting that the synoptics do this in such a pattern. I want to read one of these instances because we oftentimes get these little, almost they, they come across this kind of side remarks that Jesus goes to pray. I want to read one. Turn there if you want to. If not, don't worry. It's just a short episode from Luke chapter 5, early in Jesus' ministry, starting in verse 12. And I want to read what happens before we're told about Jesus going to pray. 
because I think it helps illustrate the context and tell us about what it is that Jesus is doing when he goes off to pray. Starting in verse 12, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and to pray. So typical. I mean, the ministry is going well. They're trending on social media. The crowds are gathering to hear him teach, to see what's happened. They've been told about who this Jesus is by the social media of their day, which was word of mouth. And in the midst of, of all of the ministry that needs to be done, that is pressing right there on Jesus, it's interesting, it says he often withdrew to go to a lonely place to pray. It wasn't because the ministry was all done. It didn't take until the ministry got all done until you got to a good stopping point. It was in the middle of that. And you can talk about that in any number of ways. The ministry that needed to be done, the distractions, the interruptions. I mean, it's interesting. Jesus goes and prays the night, all night, the night before he chooses the disciples. I imagine there were times in the midst of all this stuff, he said, Lord, I prayed and you gave me these guys. I need a break. And I'm going I am. You know, I often think, you know, if Jesus, Jesus would have been comfortable ministering in Orlando. I mean, you read in the Gospels, ministry starts along the Sea of Galilee. And then they're crossing Lake Gennesaret and so on. I mean, what could be more comfortable in Orlando? Every time you turn, you run into a lake. But it's almost as if in the middle of all this stuff and the business and the, the, the genuine needs and things that need to be done, Jesus turns off the phone, sails it into Lake Eola, and walks out 50 to Christmas you can ask people about the geography of Orlando, to find a place to pray. Often, Jesus does this. He withdraws to find that lonely place to pray. And we're going to get to why when we look at what's coming up in this prayer for this morning. Again, we're not told what he prayed. Wouldn't you like to listen to Jesus pray on those times when he often got away on his own? Well, I think this prayer we've got here, and we obviously find it elsewhere in the Gospels as well, what we're actually doing is we're overhearing Jesus pray. The disciples come to him. They've known he's done this. They've watched this. They've probably listened to him pray. And they said, you know, we can see this is such an important part of what you do. Can you teach us to pray? John taught his disciples. Can you teach us to pray in that same way? And here's Jesus' response. Now, it's interesting, the words that we get here that were read in sort of this roundabout way by the group working from several different translations and, and paraphrases of Scripture, these are probably, I don't know, 
They may be the most repeated words in the greatest number of languages in human history. We come from services where we do this stuff. We recite these. And I'm sure you're aware that the point of all of this wasn't to repeat the words or to recite the prayer. It's when you pray, pray like this. So it's important that we look to the words we get, what they tell us about, I think, the way Jesus prayed and the way he instructed his followers to pray as well. Because I think that's the point about learning to pray. So let's walk through some of this just to see what it is in brief some of what it is to listen to Jesus to pray and how he taught his followers to do so. Now, Dr. Freimeyer already highlighted about this, but I think it's a point that's just so much worth starting with. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. That the beginning point isn't those immediate pressing things that almost sometimes feel like they're going to crush us. I mean, I don't think we deal with the kind of ministry crunch that Jesus did, but we know the pressure. That, you know, unfortunately, if you're in a local church, the pressure tends to be meetings. God help us. Okay. But I think this is really critical because you pray because you understand that what this is about is not me and my ministry or these people in this place or this church, what we're about is we're here because of what God, who God is and what it is that God is doing. That's why you start praying this thing, wait. That's why frequently, often, Luke tells us, you withdraw to get those places of distraction free so you can pray, not just say things, but listen as well. Because what we're about is God's business, and we're caught up in what it is that God's doing. God invites us to take part, and by all crazy things, chooses to get his purposes done through us. I wouldn't have chosen to have done it that way. I'm not God. My dog thinks I'm God. My family knows better, okay? We start with, Father, hallowed be your name. We begin with worship. Because if you come into God's presence, what else is there to do? What is the appropriate response if we want to get to alone together with God? There's nothing there to do but to turn to God and worship. Now, we can talk in very practical terms what this is for us, but that's not what prayer is about. It does reshape. It has the needed effect of reshaping, of refocusing who we are and what it is we're about, and we need that. But that's a secondary piece to this. We start with God because this is about God and, and, and who God is, and there's really not another response that's conceivable to who God is when we come into his presence. It's this that brings us back regularly to prayer. We begin with God and who God is. Hallowed be your name, worship. Your kingdom come, that we begin with big picture prayers. What it is that God's doing, and what is it that we want to see God do concretely where we are? 
It's really interesting. Uh, I teach exegesis of Ephesians, and uh, you look, and in chapter 1, Paul begins to pray, and he comes back to prayer again in chapter 3. You can find Paul reporting what he prays for people in the introductions to other letters as well. It's interesting when you look at those prayers that they're sort of high-level, abstract, big-picture prayers about God's purposes and what is it that God's doing, and that he gets to praying then that this stuff would actually be realized in you to whoever it is he's writing these letters to. That when Paul prays, I think he really works out of this kind of model of praying for your kingdom to come. Pray that the rule of God and the purposes of God would actually become concrete, would actually take place, would become manifested in this place where you are, Paul prays. I think we pray it would actually happen where we are. God, make the sorts of things that you're about become concrete realities where we live. It's getting our prayer life in sync with who God is and what God's purposes are. Now, again, there's a place where eventually this gets down to some of the nitty-gritties of the, of the needs that need to be taken care of, of praying for healing. Kim, we prayed for you in this very place, and God stepped right up. You, you come to those, but that's framed in a bigger picture of who God is and what it is that God's doing. Now, this leads to the very next point then. Give us this day our daily bread. It's an expression of trust. God, if, 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 you're gonna, if your kingdom's going to come, if there's going to be concrete manifestations of your will and what you want to see happen, it's going to become because we've learned to depend on you for it to take place. doesn't mean we don't plan, doesn't mean we don't prepare, but we really have to learn to become dependent on God. And years ago when uh, we were living in, we lived in Kenya for a couple decades, one of our pastors said, you know, I think we've learned to pray and depend on God much more here in Kenya because we just don't have so much stuff. And if you got stuff, it's easier to sort of trust in your stuff. You know, we can get this done, we can figure, we can figure this out. I think I've, I've come to learn just from life experience that oftentimes our greatest strengths also contain within them potential for our greatest weaknesses. I think one of the things that's true for us in the West is we're very good about organizing, planning, and getting things done, and getting things done well, and so on. But that can become our weakness because we do it so well, we don't need to depend on God in the middle of it. But give us this day our daily bread is an expression of God. May we learn to trust in you. And God, we really do trust in you. If this is going to happen, in this place, if your glory is going to be manifested, it's going to be your business. May we learn, may we learn to trust in you. That's going to be a tough thing. You're going to teach people to pray in large part by how you pray. How do you model that? And then how does that get demonstrated as well? And in your leadership role that God's called you to among God's people. So we begin with worship, we pray for God's purposes to be realized, we learn in the midst of that, because these all things all tie together, we learn to express our trust and our dependence upon God. And God teaches us to live into that, to really trust and to lean on you. And this rolls right on to the next piece. Forgive us our sins 
As for the, in Luke, for uh, we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Very difficult to forgive if you don't know what it is to be forgiven. And I think the, cert, the person who's set free to love others is the person who understands they've been loved. The person who forgive others is the person who deeply understands what it is to be forgiven. Had friends um, years ago who had a, a young teenage son, started about 12, uh, went into uh, about two and a half years of fairly deep depression. And this manifested in some just profound anger. I mean, it's just like they had no categories into which to put this sort of stuff of, you know, threats against parents' lives, uh, just extraordinary things. That It's just like we don't know what to do with this. We, again, we don't have the categories to understand this kind of behavior. And after about two and a half years and a long process of prayer and, and some intervention and so on, young man walked through this and is now thriving, doing quite well. Uh, as, a, as a, a 30-something adult here. But the point was the father told me, you know, in the midst of this stuff, if I didn't know that God stuck with me in spite of me, I couldn't have stuck with my son in spite of him. I learned about how God stayed with me, and that, that's what enabled me to stay there through all the mess and everything. That's what enabled me to stay there and stick it out for my son. We learn to forgive because we've been forgiven. Now, this is a concrete manifestation of your kingdom come. Really intriguing. If you look in, in Scripture, you look at Jesus' instructions in his teaching, you look at Paul's letters and his instructions, his exhortations, how much of that stuff has to do with how we relate to one another? God is about building a people through whom God's going to work, but it's building a people into God's character, and that has to work out when we rub shoulders with one another. This is greasing the wheels if the kingdom, if you will, if we learn to be forgiving with each other. Again, it's a string from worship to your kingdom come to depending upon God to learning to be a forgiving people. These things are all tied together. It's not random, abstracted pieces. This stuff all works together in a consistent chain of prayer that begins with worship and then dreaming Wondering, God, can you bring your, your, your will to bear into realization here among us? Begins there, it flows from there, and this is one of the ways that happens. Comes out in those concrete relational categories. This is because the church or the people of God isn't something peripheral to what God it is it's doing. What God is doing is changing the world through a people front and center to God's purposes. So we see here as we learn to pray, begin with worship. Your kingdom come, your purposes be realized. As a people, may we now learn to depend upon you and may your character become shaped among us. May we reflect who you are 
And that doesn't begin with somebody else. That begins with me. Teach us to, to forgive. Teach me to forgive. Make me not just somebody who forgives, but a forgiving person. Interesting with this piece, uh, about 20 years ago at our church in Nairobi, I was, uh, I was an elder. I looked elderly even then. Um, but we went about this process of, of praying. You know, it's, we're, we're coming close to the, you know, the, the Y2K, and this was a time of sort of reassessing, you know, where have we been, where are we going, and it was fashionable to set. Let's set a 20-year a vision or a 10-year vision. This was a big thing among churches. So we began to pray about a 20-year vision. Where, where would we be in 20 years? We came up with this idea of uh, 300 new churches. Now, this is just one small church in Nairobi, uh, 2,600 people, one medium-sized church in Nairobi. Um, 300 new churches want to disciple 100,000 people, want to share the gospel with a million in 20 years. Now, this wasn't, God, this is what we're going to do. This is God... In 20 years, we're asking you to give us 300 new churches. We're, we're trusting you. We're depending upon you because we realize that the way you seem to change the world is forming new churches. That just All the evidence points to that. It's more and more churches that are effective, not bigger and bigger, lots and lots of bigger and bigger churches. More churches where these things become concretely realized. But the whole point of this was looking to who God is, what it is that God's doing, an expression of dependence. This isn't what we're going to do. This is what we're asking you for. 2019 looks like we're going to hit 300 churches. God's been good around the world from one, one church in Nairobi. Incredible stuff, but it begins with a vision that's shaped and born out of worship out of pleading for God's kingdom to, be, to come and to be concretely manifested that comes then into transformed people and so on. But I think if we could listen in to hear what Jesus was praying, it'd work out along those lines. Now, they're laid out here not for us just to recite, but for words that point us to what they stand for, what it is that, that God wants to shape us as a praying people to be praying along these lines, to connect with God, to be tied in to what it is that God's doing. So maybe a prayer for us then is, Lord, teach us to pray. Let's just start where the disciples are. This is not something that you're going to snap your fingers is going to happen tomorrow, which is tough in a, comp in a culture that we want stuff. Uh, we, we want it today and maybe tomorrow. I mean, I'm, I'm an Amazon Prime member, so I can get it tomorrow. And I, in Orlando, I maybe even get it today for some of this stuff I want. This is not the kind of thing that happens. It's a relational thing that develops over time. Can we begin with this place to say, with the disciples to say, Lord, teach us to pray. May, may the, the, even if we don't have the exact words, the things that occupy, occupied you in, in prayer, may those be the things that occupy us as well. May we learn, may we grow, may, may God teach us. And may God grow us into this. Let's pray together. <laughs> Lord, you are good, and you have been good to us. 
in so many ways we could stop and just listen to the things that would be shared across this room of the good things you are doing and have done and look forward to things you will do. You are good. May we be a praying people now. May we, your goodness learn to just overwhelm us, to draw us into a relationship with you, that we really can be formed into a people that pray after the heart of Jesus as we hear it beating through what it is that he taught his disciples to pray. Now may it be so now in Jesus' name.